Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to our Season 2, Episode 21 of the Africa Calling podcast on June 25th, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of stories from the African continent this week, including from Lagos, on Nigeria's Okada ban, and what it means for people who use moto taxis around the city. Plus, we'll take a look at the ongoing protests in Sudan and the toll it's taking on the country's youth. And in Zimbabwe, women and children are in dire straits in Masingo, and they're turning to illegal gold mining just to be able to eat. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa Calling In Nigeria, authorities in Lagos, Nigeria's largest city, have banned motorcycle taxis. The ban was imposed after a mob of commercial motorcyclists beat a sound engineer to death and burnt his corpse following a minor dispute over transport fare. The Okada drivers are mainly migrants from Nigeria's predominantly Muslim north. Tensions are rising due to transportation difficulties there, and correspondent Sam Olukoya has more from Lagos. Before they were banned, commercial motorcycles like this one were quite popular. Lagos traffic can be this chaotic, and many residents like Favor Mama prefer to move around the city with motorcycle taxis because they easily maneuver through the heavy traffic. For me, I prefer motorcycle because it's better, faster, you know, especially during times of traffic and all, so it's less stressful for me. Motorcycles, they could actually um, cut some um, traffic no, especially when the road is jump packed and all. So they could always find their way, like navigate their way out of it. Unlike if a normal vehicle, like a bus or a um, tricycle, you know, they'll have to be like um, stagnant for a very long time. So Mustafa Saleh is among thousands of commercial motorcyclists affected by the ban. Like most of them, he's a migrant from northern Nigeria. There is a daily influx of migrants from Nigeria's predominantly Muslim north to the Christian South. The migrants are fleeing insecurity caused by armed groups like the jihadist group Boko Haram. Saleh says even though he faces a bleak future back home due to the insecurity there, the ban has made it necessary for him to return to the North. <laughs> They said we should stop the commercial motorcycle business. That is why we are going back home. Since motorcycle taxis have been banned, what can we do? That is why we want to go back home. Many people from northern Nigeria came here because there is no peace in our region. The insecurity made it unsafe for us to go to our farms. We migrated to this place and now they said we are too many. We don't know what to do. When we return home, we shall not have any job to do. That is why we prefer to stay here. Honestly, if there was peace in my hometown, I will not come here. We came here because of the crisis in our region. Sale says, besides the ban on motorcycle taxis, there is resentment in Lagos against people from northern Nigeria. 
As it is, the people of this town don't like the people from northern Nigeria, and that is the way we see it. They say we are too many in this town. That is what they are saying. Honestly, there is a lot of resentment against those of us from northern Nigeria. They hate us because we are too many in this town. Wherever you go, you find lots of people from northern Nigeria. We have no other occupation besides the commercial motorcycle business, and our people are very reckless. They speed a lot. That is why people are angry with them. This northern commercial motorcyclist in Lagos shouts out to condemn the ban on motorcycle taxes. Back on the streets, the police are singing war songs as they demonstrate their determination to enforce the ban. Some in Nigeria's predominantly Christian south, including in Lagos, accuse Muslim migrants from the north of violent crimes like stoning people to death, gun violence, kidnapping and armed robbery. Wale Adioye works on conflict resolution at the Lagos-based Journalist for Democratic Rights. He says the motorcycle ban is creating issues in Lagos, but authorities are not relenting. The Lagos state government has inaugurated a special squad to arrest motorcyclists who defy the ban. The motorcycles of offenders are also being confiscated. That's heavy-duty equipment crushing confiscated motorcycles. Benga Omotosho, the Lagos State Commissioner for Information and Strategy, says this is what happens to confiscated motorcycles or Okadas. I'm happy you have seen the way they have been crushed so that uh, anybody who has any doubt that these Okadas may return to town, uh, such a doubt is not going to be uh, realistic. Uh, this is what is going to be happening to them, and then the operation is going to continue. The government has in the past attempted to ban motorcycle taxes without much success. Greater vigor is being demonstrated this time to enforce the ban to the detriment of residents trying to get from point A to point B. Find us on your favorite podcast platform app, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. In Sudan, since the start of the youth revolution against the military coup on October 25, 2021, young people have faced excessive repression as well as arrest, torture, and even murder. Confrontations with the military has caused psychological damage and trauma for many youths. This is in part because authorities have suspended teaching at public universities, leaving students without a clear way to move forward with their studies. The ongoing economic and political crisis coupled with the deteriorating security situation has plunged Sudanese youths into a living nightmare. Correspondent Yasir Haron has more from Khartoum. On the street of Khartoum and other cities throughout the country protested. Many of them young people have been subject to serious human rights violence. Whether they received beating, arrested and tortured at the hands of security service or they witness it, including killing. Many of us are now suffering from very complex psychological damage. Fadl Umar, the spokesperson for the coordination of the Khartoum Resistance Youth, has paid heavy price for his participation in the movement. So much so, his health has suffered 
هي اكسبلاين من خلال مشاركتي في المظاهرات ما بعد انقلاب 25 اكتوبر After the coup on October 25th and my participation in the protests and rejection of the coup, I was in shock. I witnessed the death directly by the security forces and saw many who lost their limbs, legs and eyes. I saw families who were in pain because they had lost their children. We have lost our freedom, which was quashed by the coup authorities. I was humiliated, arrested and beaten several times inside the detention center, subjected to constant torture. I have not been able to sleep for four months and so far I've consulted a psychiatrist. I have been advised not to participate in the protests until my condition improves, but I refuse to do so and I'm still involved in restoring freedom and democracy. Nevertheless, meeting as a strict remain extremely complicated because of fear and stigmatization by friends and family. Many high there by throwing themselves into demonstrating and voluntary work that is serving the revolution. Maria Malfaki left her job a year ago. Now she helped to organize demonstration on the street of Khartoum, but admit she is struggling. After going out on the street to participate in protests for the past three months, I'm nervous, and all I do is sleep. I can't communicate with my family and I feel like I'm under major psychological pressure. I respect psychiatrists and what they do, but what can they do for me? I'm Sudanese, we have the revolution and I must go ahead. The situation here still hasn't changed. I'm working on demonstrations. This can help me psychologically. I can't go to a psychiatrist. We are here at Abdul Idrisi Hospital in Khartoum, Bahri. The mental health sector in Sudan remains one of the most neglected sectors due to lack of government support. Few specialized centers and lack of medical staff don't help with community awareness about the need for such treatment. Sarah Abdul Ghadir, a history resident at Abdul Idrisi Hospital, is weak about some of the symptoms that it many have while living in in a very difficult situation here in Sudan. The continuous struggling uh, through living in these uh, stressors or uh, conditions can appear in the form of symptoms that are strongly associated with psychiatric disorders like past traumatic stress disorder, depression, nightmares, insomnia, lack of concentration, easily provocation and anger, suicidal thinking, lack of motivation and anhedonia. Men may also experience unexplained vague symptoms like headache, abdominal pain, uh, gastric distress, the inability to perform uh, their daily usual tasks like cooking, cleaning, bathing, the inability to go to school or work, the inability to socialize with close ones like friends and family. Not to mention also that some Uh, have been uh, have complained of fatigability and palpitations or back pain all these symptoms uh, are signs of mental distress and many of the mentally distressed youth do not ask for professional help when they experience these symptoms uh, for several reasons the main reason is the stigma The social and cultural stigma of experiencing a mental disorder or psychological distress and seeking for professional help. Uh, 
withholds a lot of youth from asking and seeking for help, and they keep struggling in silence. Other reasons could be the unawareness of the symptoms, meaning, and not knowing where and who to ask for help or consultation. The University of Khartoum is one of the oldest Sudanese public universities since the beginning of the Baratir. Everything at university level from teaching to studying has been halted, our extremely inconsistent. Says Abdullah Hassan, a lecture in literature. Most public universities in Sudan have been affected by the political conditions, including protests and daily demonstrations. Students and their families were affected too. Students who are supposed to graduate within four years have been delayed for six or seven years. This delay gives students and parents anxiety because they don't have hope. Some students are leaving the University of Khartoum to attend private universities in Sudan or even outside the country. Here in Khartoum, the capital students come from all over the country to study. A move that is under normal ceremonial can be stressful for anyone. Take for example, Mikael Habiballah, 20 year old from the terrible state of Darfur. He began studying computer at university, but because of the deteriorating condition at his school, he decided to switch to study agricultural engineering. Now he cannot complete his education due to protests and demonstration. Habiballah feels troubled, but he says he's trying to find a solution. My life has stopped completely and I can no longer do anything. Besides the pressures of the family and the streets and the difficulty of transportation, I now sit at home and do nothing and the internet is very bad since the coup. I was supposed to graduate from university in 2021 and the university is still suspended due to protest. Now I am thinking of finding another alternative by leaving Sudan and enrolling in universities abroad through scholarships. I hope that happens. Here at Magdalene Home, which is not her real name, she is faced difficult picture. Her dream of studying psychology have completely collapsed. She is also looking for a way out so she can make her dream come true. I haven't been able to go to university since October. The professors and the administration weren't in a position to help us get back to our studies. This has caused a lot of psychological pressure, as well as the lack of security and the general situation in the street. There's no transport, and the economic and political situation has got much worse. So it all meant that, well, I just sat at home and did nothing. It's complicated with my family and friends who are not suffering like I am. I couldn't find any support. So now I'm trying to apply to study outside Sudan. Despite the risk that his protests can face while comforting security and military authority on the road, like explained. Just one detonated by army on the street of the Khartoum. 
Many of them believe that being arrested and beaten is inevitable, says Paratis Mustafa Said. There's a distinct possibility that by participating in the protests, I could be arrested, injured or killed. This is possible. I have been arrested during many demonstrations. I also suffered a broken hand when I was hit by a tear gas canister. All the risks are present, but the important thing is that the revolution must continue and be won. I hope that the glorious revolution of December will achieve in Sudan what we wish for. I am a young man now and I have ambitions and dreams, which I hope to realize, but I cannot achieve my dreams in the situation we are living in now. We will triumph over authoritarianism and selfishness to create a country that respects rights. Despite the excessive violence faced by young people in Sudan, from beating, arrest, torture to murder, the Sudanese resistance committed continue to defy all this with Solgan and standing for freedom and justice. <laughs> Young people in Sudan face extremely complex conditions while protesting for freedom and justice in the face of the military coup. Their future has been defeated despite physical and psychological harm and the lack of psychological support for many of them. They hope for a better tomorrow in which their dreams will come true. Reporting for Africa Calling, this is Yasser Harun in Khartoum, Sudan. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Zimbabwe, the absence of employment opportunities owing to a shrinking industrial base Poor agricultural production and high food prices have taken a hard hit on women and children, society's most vulnerable communities. Women, along with children as young as 12 years of age, are panning for illegal gold dust along hazardous riverbanks strewn with dangerous pits. Despite the regular police raids on alluvial gold panning activities, these women and children are risking their freedoms in order to discover a few grams of hope. Correspondent Kudzai Shimhangwa reports from the mountains of Buka in Masingo. This is a gold milling plant located just below a mountainous area known as Buka. Established and registered small-scale artisanal miners from nearby mines deliver their ore, join the queue and wait their turn to have their rocks crushed and processed. Gold is one of Zimbabwe's top foreign currency earners. According to Fidelity Printers and Refiners, the country's sole government-owned gold buying firm, gold output by both small-scale and large-scale miners went up by 79% in May 2022, compared to the same period last year. However, despite all the official fanfare of good gold production figures, a disturbing social phenomenon of more women and children venturing into hazardous gold mining has emerged. Notwithstanding the dangers of small-scale artisanal mining, such as collapsing pits and potential arrest by police, hordes of women and children are chasing alluvial gold to escape their misery. 
The country's deteriorating economic situation and consequent biting poverty is forcing women and children to venture into legal gold panning, a lucrative United States dollar paying field. Here is a group of women and children digging frantically for alluvial gold in the rich soil of the dry riverbed. The rains have been scarce, and thoughts of their parched maize fields drive them to keep digging. They pan for the gold using rudimentary tools such as small picks, hammers, metal rods and shovels. Upon seeing new people entering their digging area, most of them flee into the thick of the bush while a few stradlers too tired to run stay behind. One child named Alex, to protect his identity, aged 14 years, braves it out and speaks to us. I began gold mining in the year 2020. It's now two years that I've been hustling in this gold game. Ever since the COVID-19 lockdown started in 2020, we didn't have much to do, so we just joined others who were already involved in gold panning. We just work in this field because we need to raise money for food. And it's not necessarily that we are trying to get rich. Alex says that they face very difficult times with the regular police raids, as some of his older adult colleagues have been arrested and locked up for a minimum of two years in prison, without the option of a fine. Section 3, subsection 1 of the Gold Trade Act prohibits dealing in or possession of gold without the required license. This law also has a provision for a maximum five-year imprisonment for illegal gold possession. We can barely make money for survival because we spend a lot of our time fleeing police raids. We can even spend two days away from the pits. Things are just so tough. I'm taking care of my family this week. We need sponsors to help out with food and warm clothing, especially during cold winter months. We meet up with a group of women chatting in the bush and planning on where and how best to dig for gold deposits along the dry riverbed. The riverbed, which bears the ugly marks of never-ending gold panning activities, poses huge physical risk as falling into one of the many pits can cause serious injury. The women are undeterred by this. Thelma is managing to send her children to school through gold panning, and she tells us her story. I began mining for gold last year. I'm a single mother with a big family of five kids, so this was a good way for me to try and pay for the kids' school fees. I saw that there isn't any other way for me to get money. The buyers usually pay us 45 US dollars per gram of gold, but I feel that with the high quality of this gold dust we're being ripped off, at least if they could pay us 55 dollars per gram, that would be far better. Alluvial gold fetches high prices on the black market as the percentage quality of the gold is very high. Most buyers pay 58 to 60 dollars per gram for such gold. Asked if they could sell the gold through official channels to Fidelity printers and refiners, Thelma said that was out of the question, as they are working without a permit. She tells us that their level of desperation in order to survive leaves her and her family without room for price negotiations on the black market. When we're working, the regular police raids are a cat and mouse game. We're always ready to flee. Some of us get caught. It's such a huge drawback. 
When we're digging for gold, though, we're very united. We take turns to look out for any new and suspicious faces as we work. At times, we share the proceeds from the mining. Our families can at least have a meal. It's better than nothing. Thalma says that some people were recently detained when a troop of armed police stormed the area and arrested almost everyone in sight. She emphasizes that she is only in the business of illegal gold panning to raise capital as she aspires to start a small business of her own. She wants to buy bales of second-hand clothes from Mozambique for resale. Another single mother named Miriam tells us that her husband abandoned the family and left her to fend for three children alone. I had no choice but to venture into this field. My friends told me that this was a way to make quick money, although the greatest risk is that of being arrested. Some people were recently arrested and imprisoned over gold panning. If I choose to live in fear, where will my kids get school fees and food? Yet, if I'm imprisoned, I'm the breadwinner. Who else will look out for them? When I get money for school fees, I pay them. We carefully stroll along the dry riverbed. It is an eyesore as deep pits and dug-out rocks scar the mutilated environment. Some trees hang precariously, while others cave into the loosened soil, lying lifelessly, uprooted. A 15-year-old girl named Spirit to protect her identity tells Africa Calling that financial hardships in her family, which affected her schooling, pushed her to pan for gold in the riverbeds of Buka. I began digging for gold last year. I'm 15 years old. The police usually come and disturb our gold panning activities. Failure to get school fees drove me into this line of work, but it has been helpful. The buyers pay us $45 per gram, but we really want higher payment because our gold is a very high quality. At least if it could get to $55 per gram, that would be good. Spiwe says that as a girl child, she is well aware of her vulnerability to exploitative men. She says some men lure girls with lots of money to sleep with them, and in some cases they are not paid at all. The awful scourge of HIV-AIDS is ravaging these communities in the Buka area. Munorwei Munyikwa, National AIDS Council, or NAC, Mashingo Provincial Monitoring and Evaluation Officer, says older men preying on younger women and girls and transactional sexual activity is rife in the area. If we are discussing in terms of HIV and AIDS, we have two key drivers. Um, the first being uh, transactional um, sex, and um, uh, the, the second um, being intergenerational sex. Um, in terms of uh, transactional sex, we are saying uh, sex is being done in exchange of goods or money. And in that regard, uh, most of the time, um, the preconditions of having um, protective uh, sex is uh, disregarded. Then when we also talk of um, uh, intergenerational sex, we are saying um, 
relationships are being entered into uh, by people with more than um, five years. So this becomes um, a challenge. The other part is more experienced and the other one is uh, less experienced. So there's a likelihood of exploitation in those um, uh, sexual relationships. He says that the age difference creates a great disparity as older men exploit younger girls. The NAC recently carried out a study along the Harare Bybridge Highway where the Buka Growth Center and mountains are located. A lot of sexual exploitation happens there, including risky intergenerational sexual activity. Back in the city, we catch up with Zimbabwe Miners Federation Mashingo Regional Representative Daniel Chitenje at one of his hardware shops downtown. The Zimbabwe Miners Federation is a government initiative formed to effect sustainable growth and transformation of the artisanal and small-scale mining industry. Chitenje gives us his views on the increase in mining activity by women and children in the Buka area. The current economic conditions are not conducive to sustain rural people's livelihoods. They don't have any income-generating projects which they can run. This has caused some parents to take their children to dig for alluvial gold in the riverbeds. The mountainous Buka area is very rich in alluvial gold deposits, so it's very lucrative. Once a child leaves school activities and manages to get some gold for sale, he or she won't leave this work as the child has cash in hand, time and again. Chitenje told Africa Calling that entire families are digging for gold because this is the only way they can survive right now. He says that as a small-scale and artisanal representative body, the Zimbabwe Miners Federation has a program in place for women in mining. Under this scheme, Women are encouraged to register a claim as a group of 10 and apply for funding from a joint venture between Fidelity Refiners and the Zimbabwe Miners Federation, says Chitenje. He observed that small-scale and artisanal miners are producing the largest chunk of gold output in comparison to large-scale mining firms. If we could harvest all the small quantities of gold mined by this group of people, this could help the government to have more gold reserves. By arresting every small-scale miner, this only encourages and promotes illegal gold trade. All this gold is funneled out of the country illegally through the black market. This law basically needs to be eased. In recent years, small-scale and artisanal miners have become the biggest contributors of gold to fidelity printers and refiners effectively contributing just over 50% of bullion. However, most of these miners, including women, are hamstrung by limited access to sophisticated mining equipment, subjected to arrest over lack of gold position permits and difficulties in securing mining claims. The environment is taking a toll as illegal panning along riverbeds continues unabated in the country, while the biggest casualties are vulnerable women and children. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Kudzaich Mangwa from Mashingo.
Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. We're almost at the end of our program, but we have music maven Alison Hurd in the studio. Hi, Alison. What song do you have for us? Hi, Laurangela. Let's head off to Zimbabwe today with some music from Gonora Sounds. This is a father and son duo led by singer-songwriter and guitarist Daniel Gonoro and his son Isaac on drums. They basically started out busking on the streets. We're using totally makeshift equipment more than a decade ago. Daniel Gonora is blind and he plays in a style called Sungu. Uh, using a kind of guitar picking technique that's a bit like the plinking patterns that you find in the Zimbabwean Mbira instrument. They've managed to record a couple of EPs distributed on the streets and their performances have picked up a lot of interest on internet. In February this year, they released their first debut full-length album, Hard Times Never Kill, on the American Dust to Digital label. Ganora sings about economic crises and the kind of social struggles that he's been through in his own personal history, as you may imagine, and the people around him. But he's a fighter and this is definitely not a maudlin album. I've chosen the song Kuna Mambo, which translates roughly, I think, as there are things in the Shona language. I've picked a version that they recorded with the Zimbabwean gospel choir, Vabati Vajehova. I hope you like it. Excellent. Well, thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 21 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Gonora Sounds. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Nicolas Doho and Cecile Pompiani. Goodbye for now.
Yeah. 